Today is a unique day, and it's far bigger than we think, because there are many different kinds of mothers, and all are being honored today. For the mother who's chosen to stay at home while her children are little, may your patience be great and your influence even greater. For the single mom who never planned on doing this alone, may you be consistently strengthened by your Heavenly Father, and may you hear His voice singing over you. For the mother who strives to balance work outside the home with love inside the home, may you be given energy, validation, and hope as you make the leap from one world to another every day. For moms who had poor mothers themselves, but who now refuse to let that pattern repeat itself. May the godly legacy you've started be carried on for generations to come. For mothers with grown adult children, may today be filled with laughter and joy, and may you experience deep satisfaction and fulfillment. For women who have no biological children of their own, but who mother younger women as mentors, May you understand your role as a calling from God and as a transformation of their hearts. Today is a unique day, so for all the mothers we mentioned and even those we didn't, be blessed, be honored, be filled with joy. You are making the world a better place because you're filling it with a love that only a mom can give. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. Um, if, you have your, if you don't have your Bible yet, I'm going to ask you to grab your Bible really quickly. I just want to remind you that we are in our series, our Fruit of the Spirit series, In Season. And today we are going to be talking about why joy matters. We need to think about this as we dealt last week with why love matters. Today we are going to talk about why joy matters. And today's a special day, a really, really special day. It's one of my favorite days of the year because I get to celebrate some really special women. And so first of foremost, I got to give a shout out to Mama Dukes. So I got to say, hey, happy Mother's Day, Ma. I love you. Uh, to my grandma, I want to say happy Mother's Day to you as well. Uh, to my mother-in-law, I want to say happy Mother's Day to you. And to my amazing, amazing wife, thank you for making me a dad. Um, I love you. And I think that you are the best mom that uh, a child could ever ask for, as you are the best wife that a man could ever ask for. So I love you. Uh, for all the other moms, I hope, I hope, I hope that you are having a great day. Um, I hope that you're enjoying this day. And I hope that you're being pampered in some way, that someone's cooking for you. Um, I'm sorry. I think things are still shut down, even though they're kind of semi-open. And so man, no manis and petties. I don't mean to depress you on Mother's Day, but we love you. All right. We love you and we're praying and we know those things are going to be opening up. And so if you have your Bible, if you would open um, to the to the gospel of John. But here's something that I want to say, because I think that this is really, really important before we read this scripture. And it is that the fruit that we bear is the source of life for a world that is feeding on death. I said this, I said this a couple of weeks ago. I said this when we started this series, it needs to be repeated and, re and we need to be reminded of this every week that in this season that we find ourselves in, the church must be fruitful. The church must be fruitful. We have to be fruitful. 
And what you and I have to realize is that we are living in a day and an age where the world, the people are feeding on death. The book of Proverbs says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. And so what do I mean when I'm talking about the world is feeding on death? Well, I'm talking about lustful desires that people are trying to fill a void in their heart with. I'm talking about divisive politics that this world is being consumed by right now. I'm talking about greed and the desire for more that this world is overwhelmed with. I'm talking about the anti-God agenda that began way back in the days in the Garden of Eden. This agenda didn't start with any political party. This agenda began at a tree where a serpent spoke to a woman and began to question what God said. And so the world is feeding on death. And what I want you to realize is that in this season in which we find ourselves, the fruit of the spirit is so very important. It is so vital for our world because God has given us the antidote to what this world is experiencing and what this world is going through. And so what I want you to realize is that you and I, we are the branches that God has called to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And so if you have your Bible, I want you to see what Jesus had to say in the Gospel of John chapter 15. So what Jesus says in the Gospel of John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1 is this. He says, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified. Now, I just want to pause for a moment as I read that. I want you to, you need to take note of those words because we live a life as Christians, as believers for the glory of God. And when we talk about glorifying God, we need to ask ourselves what glorifies God and Jesus's words here, make it extremely clear. He says this by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. As the father loved me, I also have loved you abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commands commandments and abide in his love. And here's the verse that ties into our joy today. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much. 
for your love, for your grace, for your mercy, for the reality of the truth that we find in your word, God. We thank you today because we know that we are called to be the, the fruit bearers in this day. And so as we hear your word, I pray that we would be attentive to your voice, that we would be responsive to your truth, and I pray against every distraction of mind and heart right now in the name of Jesus. And so I want you to know this, this is really important, is that as we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, we are talking about the life source of the church. We're talking about the life source in this world. And the one thing that I want to make clear is that we are living in a time where people are in desperate need of a true, inexhaustible, inextinguishable life source. You got to hear that. The world is in desperate need of, of a true, inexhaustible, inex extinguishable life source and so I don't know about you but there's a there's a particular show that I like I, I don't even know how I started watching it a few months ago and it's called The Flash I'm not really a comic guy, but for some reason, I really like this show, and I just, I don't know, maybe it's because I wish I could run like he runs. I have no idea, but nonetheless, I started watching this show, and if, you, if you're watching The Flash, you know this, and at, they're at the episode right now where they're trying to figure out about this, this, this speed force. Which the speed force, the way that I understand it, is it's supposed to be like God. And the speed force has lost its life. The speed force no longer has the ability to, to um, make Barry, who is the Flash, make him run at top speed. And so right now they're trying to figure out how to create their own speed force. I want you to know that that's what the world is doing as well. They're trying to figure out how to create and maintain and sustain their own life force. But God wants us to do what? He wants us to know that we have the life source that is true, the life source that is inextinguishable, the life source that is inexhaustible, the life source that doesn't need a man to figure out how to make it work, but it is a life source that comes directly from God himself, who is eternal, who has no beginning, who has no end, who depends upon no one. He is God. And so we have this life source in us and we are called to bear fruit for the world that is in desperate need of it. I want you to think about this this morning. Joy, as we're talking about joy, joy is not a smile or a pleasure, but the inner fortitude of a soul satisfied by God. I want you to think about this. Joy is not a smile. Now, now, now listen, I want you to know joy can make you smile. But you know what joy can also do? Sometimes joy can be so overwhelming that it creates tears. It creates greater emotion than just a smile. The reason why I say this is because I used to think, man, Jason, you are not a joyful guy because I don't smile a lot. I don't walk around with a smile on my face all the time. And people used to criticize me like, you know, that maybe, maybe that's not so friendly or inviting. However, a smile doesn't mean you have joy. You want to know why? Let me tell you something. There's tons of people who hide behind a smile. They don't have joy, but they know how to turn it on. When they get around people they're like, hey, how you doing? And they're smiling. If they got dimples like me, their dimples are popping out. And they're, they're, you would think everything is okay. However, that doesn't mean they have joy. 
They could be empty inside. There are people who get paid millions of dollars in order to act. They learn how to smile, even laugh on a dime. They cry on a dime. They're not real emotions. And you know what? You don't have to get paid all kinds of money in order to be one who turns it on and turns it off. And so smiling, that's not, that doesn't indicate joy. Joy may bring a smile. Joy is not pleasure. It's not, it's not just pleasure. Obviously, joy is pleasurable, but pleasure is the result of joy. It is not the source of joy. Did you catch that? Pleasure is, is the result of joy. It is not the source of joy, but here's what joy is. It is the inner fortitude of a soul satisfied by God. It is a, it, it is an inner fortitude that even when things are sad, even when things are not good, when things are not going great, there is an inner fortitude because your soul has been satisfied by God. And so when you think about that, I want you to grasp that idea is that joy is not a smile. It's not a pleasure, but it is the inner fortitude of a soul that has been satisfied by God. On Resurrection Sunday, as I preached the sermon, and I said our souls are aching for satisfaction. And joy, the same way that we saw this in love, joy brings a satisfaction to our soul. And so the first thing that I would like for you to think about this morning, if you're taking notes, you can write these down as point one, is that you cannot have everlasting joy without everlasting life. You cannot have everlasting joy without everlasting life. And so you put the cart before the horse when you're trying to have joy or happiness. And here's what I want to say really quickly is because I've heard people say this, you know, joy and happiness are two different things. I want you to understand something. Um, synonyms for these two words are the same. So joy and happiness. But when you're talking about the fruit of the spirit, we're talking about something else that is going on. We're talking about something that is happening inside of someone's heart. And so you have to have the source of joy, which is life. And so that's what Jesus is saying in this verse here. And so hopefully you have your Bible still open. But here's what the, what, what the verse says. Jesus says in verse 1, I'm just going to read this to you. It says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. And so what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that he is the vine. He is the source of life. He is the root from which the life comes to the tree. He goes on to say that we are the branches. And I won't look at every single part of this verse again, but what I want you to realize is that Jesus is talking about him being the source of life. And so here's what we have to realize is that we cannot manifest joy if we don't possess joy. So you have to have joy in order to manifest joy. But this joy is the result of what? It is the result of the work of Christ and it is the work of the Holy Spirit that is operating in us. That is where this joy comes from. See, here's this thing. There's this mystical union between Jesus and his church. And in this mystical union, that is where the fruitfulness of our lives comes from. And that's why we're able to bear fruit no matter what the season is. I don't, know which, I don't remember which week it was, and if you haven't noticed yet, but you'll see like there's different fruit. Every week you're going to notice a different fruit as part of this whole series there. This week we're looking at the grapes, and those grapes, they look really good. They look like they're in season. They're perfect. It's time to eat them, right? I mean, that's, that, that, that's what you're looking at. But here's, here's what happens is, there are times when certain fruits are out of season and they're hard to find or when you find them, they're not as good.
Here's what I want you to realize. There is never a season in your life where you as a Christian shouldn't be bearing good fruit. Let me say that again. There is never a season in your life where you as a Christian shouldn't be bearing good fruit. Now, I didn't say that there are not seasons in which we're going to struggle to bear good fruit. I didn't say that. I, I didn't say that there are not seasons that we may have some difficulty when it comes to bearing fruit. That's not what I'm saying either. What I am saying is there is never a season that you or I have an excuse. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's never a season that we have an excuse to not bear good fruit. Why? Because the fruit is not, is not dependent upon the season we're in. The fruit is dependent upon the Savior who is in the season that we're in. The fruit is dependent upon the Spirit of God that dwells in us in this mystical way that he, he lives in us and He's moving through us. He is manifesting Himself in us. So no matter what season we find ourselves in, you and I, if we're followers of Christ, should bear good fruit. So there should never be a season where love isn't flowing. There should never be a season where joy isn't flowing. There should never be a season where peace isn't flowing or long suffering isn't flowing or kindness isn't flowing or gentleness isn't flowing or self-control isn't flowing. There should never be a season where our lives are lacking fruit. Now, what I will say is as Jesus goes on to say, the father is the vine dresser. And what the father does is he prunes the branches. You and I are the branches. So what the father does is he comes and he looks at our lives, inspects the fruit of our lives, looks at what's going on in our lives, and then he prunes things and he removes things. And see, there are some things that deplete us of the ability to bear fruit the way that God desires. So what we have to do is we have to make sure that we are engaged because here's what we have to understand. What does it mean when Jesus talks about abiding in Christ? Here's what I want you to realize. We need to recognize our role. We are the branches. We are the conduits of the life of God. Grab that. We are the conduits of the life of God. And he, Jesus says, you can do nothing apart from me. And obviously people are not walking with Jesus every day and they're doing things. However, they're not doing things of kingdom value. So here's what we understand from Jesus is Jesus is the conduit or Jesus is the life source. We are the conduit for that everlasting life source, which is Christ under this world. So here's what we have. What is the life source? The life source, and I'll give you these three things. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. But it's real simple. With the, the vine, which is Jesus, is the life source. The word of God, which is, which, is, which is coming from Christ, is the life source. And we also have the Father's love, or the love of God, is the life source. But when we talk about abiding, I just want to camp out here for a moment. What does it mean to abide in Christ? Abiding in Christ is about a relationship with him. That's what it's about. Nothing outside of that. Abiding means remaining in, staying in connection with. And here's what I want you to realize is that a relationship must have a starting point and it must be maintained. Now think about that. A relationship must have a starting point and it must be maintained. You know, there's people, you see movies and shows about people, they're stalkers. And the reason why they're stalkers is because they went to, from the point of, um, they never started a real relationship, but they're trying to maintain a relationship. They're sending flowers, they're sending cards, they're trying to communicate and all that kind of stuff with people. They don't have a starting point for the relationship. And that sounds crazy and that sounds creepy. But let me tell you something else that, see, that, that happens as well, is that there's some people who start relationships, but they don't maintain them. 
They begin relationships, but they don't maintain them. They don't continue in the relationship. And can I tell you something? I wish that I could say that that's not true for Christianity. But the reality is what? Is that we see in the scriptures, if you look in the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation, when um, Jesus is, is speaking to the churches in the book of Revelations, one of the churches he communicates to them and he tells them it's the church of Ephesus. And he tells the church of Ephesus, he says, you have abandoned your first love. They had all the doctrine right. They knew everything that the scriptures said for them. They were, I believe they were confronting apostles. However, they had abandoned their first love. They weren't maintaining their relationship. And what Jesus says, if that, if you are not bearing fruit, if you are not maintaining this relationship, if you are not abiding in me, then you're going to be what? Cut off and thrown into the fire. So what that tells me is we need to ask this question. Let's pause for a moment now. Have you started a relationship with Jesus? Now, normally it'd be at the end of the sermon that I might ask this question. But my question is, have you started a relationship with Jesus? Have you begun to walk with him? Have you made a commitment to him to, to walk with him as his son or as his daughter? Have you begun talking to God on a daily basis? Have you begun reading God's word on a daily basis? Have you begun seeking God and getting to know him and hearing from him? Have you begun doing it? Have you began to start doing that? Have have you started doing that? See, because the most important thing is that we start a relationship, that we ensure that we are in a relationship with God. But now, if you say, yes, amen, I've done that, Bishop. Okay, that's great. I'm glad that you started. Now, my other question is, are you maintaining a relationship with God? Are you walking in that relationship with God? Are you continuing in that relationship with God? Why? Because we need to be reminded of something. We need to be reminded, Jesus never changes. Hear me when I say this. We need to be reminded, Jesus never changes. Sin remains the same destructive force in the world, and our potential to be fruitful is only limited. Check this out now. It is only limited by our willingness to abide in Christ. In other words, God wants to use you. And to the degree that you will make yourself available, God will use you to bear fruit. And remember I said this uh, in week one, I believe. When we talk about fruit, fruit is not for me. No apple tree is eating its own apples. No orange tree is eating its own oranges. It is bearing fruit so that way others can partake of the fruit and receive life and nutrients from the fruit that it bears it's the same thing for us we have to be sure that we are spending time with Jesus who is divine that we are spending time in his word and that we are growing in a relationship with him the second point that I want you to think about this morning is you cannot rejoice if you do not have joy you cannot rejoice if you do not have joy. And listen, that isn't a typo. I spelled that intentionally. You cannot rejoice because I thought about the word and I'm like, man, you cannot re. That means to do it again. So it's like joying over and over and over again is what I'm understanding here. So you cannot rejoice if you don't have joy in the first place. So we have to be sure that we have joy. What did the apostle Paul say in the book of Philippians chapter four and verse four? He says to the Philippians this, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. 
He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Paul commands them. Now think about this. He says, rejoice in the Lord always, period. He doesn't stop there. He reiterates it right away. It's like, yo, pay attention to what I'm saying. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, I will say rejoice. You have to have joy in order to be able to rejoice. And so he tells them this. And so he's communicating to them, letting them know that they need to rejoice in the Lord. That no matter what they're facing, no matter what's going on around them, he says to rejoice. It's the same thing for you and I. No matter what's happening, no matter what crisis may surround us, no matter what virus may be coming and and impacting our lives, our finances, our health, our relationships, whatever it is, our businesses, whatever it is that this, this, this pandemic has affected for you. I was listening to a doctor who was speaking that that we don't even know yet the aftermath of what this pandemic is going to bring. We don't know the emotional baggage that's going to happen from people who have lost jobs and lost lives. Livelihood. We don't, we don't, we, we, we've never experienced something like this. So we don't even know what that's going to look like. All we can do is we can look back and we can see that percentages rise of suicides when people lose their jobs. And so we know how many people are applying for unemployment. And while some in our culture are gloating about stuff like that, man, we as the church should be broken because of the reality that people have lost their jobs. And you know what that means? More people are going to be depressed. More people are going to to be discouraged right now this is mental health awareness month and so we should be thinking about those people that have mental issues that are going through that are battling with anxiety that are battling with depression that are battling with suicide and listen if you're hearing me now and you're battling with those things I want you to know that Jesus has the solution he wants to give you his joy in this season of your life in this moment of your life no matter what is going on out there no matter what you have lost you need to know that there is hope in the Lord. There is peace in Christ Jesus. There is a joy that can fortify and strengthen your soul. It's so very important that we realize Paul is saying, listen, you have to rejoice. We're going to deal with the rest of that verse next week when we talk about peace. But he goes on, he tells him this, he commands him this. So here's the question. This is the question that has to be answered. What is joy? What is joy? What is joy? When you think about it in definition. So here's the definition of the word. The actual Greek word is the word kara. So it is the word kara, C-H-A-R-A, kara. And so you want to impress someone, you can go ahead and tell them, hey, do you know the Greek word for joy? It is the word kara. And you can sound real great. Anyway, you just do that if you want to. But, But here's the thing. This is what it means. It means the state of joy and gladness. It means joy, gladness, great happiness. And then here's an example of when it's used in the scriptures as, 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 a, as an act. And it says, and quickly leaving the tomb. And now you know what we're talking about. We're talking about the resurrection. Fearful and at the same time, very joyful. Now, you know why I love the fact that it uses that as an example? You know where our joy is connected to? The resurrection of Jesus. You know what our joy depends on? The resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus didn't rise, we are to be the most pitied of men. But because Jesus rose, and we have a reason to rejoice. We have a reason to have hope. We have a reason to be joyful. And so another thing that we realize is that in a number of languages, when you look at this definition, in a number of languages, joy is expressed idiomatically. For example, my heart is dancing. 
or my heart shouts because I am happy. What I want you to know is that, again, joy is about an inner fortitude that comes from the Spirit of God. It is the source of our celebration. It is the source of our worship of God. It is the source of our praise of God. So another thing that I'll say here is that joy, and again, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Joy is often connected with hope. Now, the one thing that Paul doesn't mention in this list of the nine fruit of the Spirit, he doesn't mention the word hope. But, but, but in the book of Romans, chapter 12 and verse 12, he says this. He says, rejoicing in hope. So hold on a second. I can rejoice based upon something else. It's based upon hope. So when I have hope in the right thing, which is Christ, when I have hope in the right thing, which is the resurrected Jesus, when I have hope in the right thing, which is the return of Christ, and the reason I know Christ is coming back is because he rose again. Come on now. That's the reason why I rejoice. And so Paul says, rejoicing in hope. And so hope is correct, is connected directly with joy. Another thing is that joy is the fruit of the kingdom. What does the scripture say in the book of Romans chapter 14, verse 17? The apostle Paul again is communicating. He said the kingdom of heaven is not about eat or meat, but it's what? It's about righteousness, about peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so the kingdom fruit, the fruit of the kingdom is the joy of the spirit. And so again, joy is not a smile, it's not a pleasure, but it's about a soul that has been satisfied, that has been fortified by the Lord. It is the fruit, it is that, it is that inner soul, that satisfaction in your soul that comes from the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Here's another thing I want to point out to you about joy, is that the word joy and the word grace, they both are Greek words and they come from the same root word. And the, 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 the word joy is the word kara. The word grace is the word karis. So you have kara and you have karis. So you know what this reminds us? Here's what this reminds us. This reminds us that the same place that you find grace is the same place you experience joy. The same place that you find grace, the root of the word grace and the root of the word joy they come from the same place and so again the question goes back to my prior point do you have a relationship with God and are you maintaining your relationship with God see one of my brothers uh, we, we pray together you know I know him well and he was he was sharing with me he was sharing about his struggle with anxiety and he was saying that in this season of his life because his prayer life is where it is that he's not struggling at that level any longer he's not battling at that level any longer because there is something that is filling the void there is something that is sustaining him and here's what I want you to know man I know people that love Jesus I know people that walk with the Lord they struggle with anxiety Anxiety. They struggle with different things. They have a relationship with God. And so I'm not saying that, oh, if you have a prayer life, what I, what I don't want you to hear me saying is that if you don't have a prayer life, you know, or then, then that's the reason why you're struggling. That's not what I'm saying. Man, we all have bad days. What I am saying is when you maintain that relationship with God, God does something to your soul. What I don't want to do is I don't want to minimize the power of God in someone's life. And when they are walking with him in intimacy, when they are walking with him in a relationship, they are spending time with him and experiencing the grace of God. They're also experiencing the joy of the Lord. And they're able to walk and overcome those things that would try to come and afflict their lives. 
God's grace is sufficient. The third thing that I want you to think about here is you cannot develop joy, but you can determine praise. Now, some of you are like, what? <laughs> you cannot develop joy. Listen, I said this before. You and I are the branches. So we don't control the fruit that comes from our lives. We can't develop fruit. Fruit grows through us. I would dare say it grows in spite of us, but we know that that's not true. And any person who deals with horticulture and all this kind of stuff, they would know that, you know, there's something that's going on, you know, inside of the plant, inside of the branches. One time I said that we don't do anything and somebody had to give me a lesson in, you know, the way plant biology works. Here, here's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is externally, when you and I look at the branch, you know what we see? This. That's what we see. We see a branch that is hanging out there. We don't see anything that's going on inside the branch. We don't see anything that's going on inside of it. But then you come back to the branch and all of a sudden you start to see something popping up on the branch. You start to see some kind of fruit coming through the branch. So here's what my point is. My point is that you cannot develop joy. The same way you cannot develop love, what you can do is you can grow in love. That's different. Developing and growing are two different things. But what you can do is you can determine praise. You can determine that you are going to praise God. And so if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. And the book of Nehemiah chapter 8, this is such a powerful, powerful portion of scripture. And even though the book of Nehemiah is more toward the front side of your Bible, this book, Nehemiah and the book of Malachi, were actually the oldest books written in the Old Testament. And meaning that these, as these books are written, now the 400 years of silence comes to play. And so this is important to look at these words, these last uh, things that happened to Israel. And so just to give you a little bit of history right before we jump into the text, is that Israel was in a funny place because they had been in captivity uh, under Babylon and under Persia for the last 70 years because of their rebellion against God. And so when we come into the story here, into the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is, is second to the book of Ezra. And the book of Ezra is when the temple was rebuilt. And so the first thing that happened is Ezra goes back, rebuilds the temple for Israel because as Israel was, everything was devastated when they were overwhelmed and they were overtaken by the Babylonians. So everything is destroyed. But God raised up Ezra. Ezra goes and, and, and leading a team, rebuilds the temple. But then after rebuilding the temple, God raises up Nehemiah and Nehemiah goes back to lead the team to rebuild the walls. The walls are protection. And so now the walls are built and the children of Israel are coming to the day when Ezra, who is reading the law of God, he begins to read the laws of God. And as he begins to read the laws of God, something peculiar happens. And I'm, I'm going to encourage you to read. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to encourage you to read the whole, the whole thing from verse 1 all the way down to verse 12. Because it's such a powerful story. And, and just the depiction of how everything happened. Ezra comes, he stands on a platform looking just like a preacher. You know, he stands on a platform that's higher than everyone. In other words, you know what he's doing is he's making everyone look up to God's word. Not look up to him. It's not about him. But to look up to God's word. That's the reason why, if you didn't know this, that's the reason why I, I believe anyway that pulpits should be elevated because we are bringing an elevated truth. It's not so that way people can just see us because we are great. It's because we are bringing elevated truth. We are trying to elevate your eyes. That way you look not in this earth, but you're looking up to the heavens, right? And so that's the idea here. And so I'm not saying that the text says that. I'm just giving you an application. But here's what I want you to realize is that he reads it. 
And as he starts reading through the text, he's got some other people there that are helping him explain the text to the people. And then something happens. This is supposed to be a day of celebration. And the scripture tells us that the people were mourning. Now, why would they mourn after the temple had been rebuilt and after the walls had been rebuilt? I mean, we, we think about, you know, building a new building. And man, I know when we broke ground here in this building, man, there was, never, there was no weeping. There was rejoicing. We were singing songs. We were excited. I remember the first days that we came into this building. Man, we came into this building and we had it. It was, it, it was on, a, on a resurrection weekend. Our first service in here was a Good Friday service. That Good Friday service, man, it was hard to, it, it was hard to maintain the, the mourning and the solemnness of a Good Friday service because it was our first Friday. It was our first day in this building. Saturday, we did the inauguration. Sunday, we came up in here and we worship, man. It was like Jesus got out of the tomb that day. Glory to God. Because what? Because we had, we, we were celebrating what God had done. But Israel was overwhelmed with sorrow because as they heard God's word being read to them, they were realizing, man, God is holy. Man, God judged us because of our rebellion. Man, God is faithful and merciful and their feelings of joy were also mixed with their feelings of sorrow. They also looked around and they saw that the glory that they were looking at wasn't nearly as beautiful and glorious as it was before. And that's unfortunate because sometimes our sin causes us not to see things in the glory that they should have been. And yet God is faithful. Because he promised them that after 70 years, he would bring them out of bondage. And so let's jump into the text here and look at what the scripture says. And we're going to begin reading in verse 9. And it says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not mourn, and listen to this, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. And that is so powerful because they understood the words that were declared to them. That's why they were able to rejoice. So when I read this text, I'm always like torn by this. And, and, and as I said earlier, you can't develop joy because joy is not a muscle. But what you can do is you can position yourself for joy to do what? For joy to grow in you. And so you can determine that you're going to praise God in everything, that you're going to worship God in everything. That is how we position ourselves, no matter when it's good, no matter when it's bad. We position ourselves because what? Because we realize who God is and what God has said. You see, as they heard the word, they wept. And God's word, here, here's what I want you to realize when I think about this text, because when I think about this, I mean, this, this mess with me, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I don't know if you understand what that is or what that means. But for me, every time I hear that, it's like I forget, like, what is he trying to say? The joy of the Lord is your strength. 
And so I want you to be strengthened. I want you to be empowered. I want you to be able to overcome things. And what was happening is, is they were saying the joy of the Lord is the strength that you need in order to continue forward. The joy of the Lord is the strength you need in order to continue moving forward. How do you know this joy? Because they understood God's word. So what do we have here? The first thing is God's word should bring us joy. God's word should bring us joy. God's word is grounds for rejoicing. Why do I say that? Because God's word is what allows us to rejoice. It's what allows us because it allows us to know God's promises. And so we are able to rejoice. And here it is. The joy of the Lord is in our blessing and our celebration of him. See, that's where I think that it, that it all comes together. The joy of the Lord is in our blessing and in our celebration of him. What do I mean? mean by this? What I mean is this, is that we say here at Core Faith Church that we are, our vision is 100% to please the Lord in everything that we do. And what I realize is this, is that when I am living to please the Lord, I am worshiping him. I am determining to praise him above everything else. And so in that, I am blessing God. I am worshiping God. And you know what that does? That brings pleasure to him. That brings joy to him. And because God is joy, is he is enjoying our worship. He is enjoying our praise. You know what that does? That becomes our strength because there's a reciprocal thing that happens. Israel was, was promised that God inhabited the praises of his people. God was there in their presence. God was there with them as they were rejoicing. And so what is he saying? He's saying, I want to strengthen you. And so what does joy do? Joy enables you to endure trials, resist idols, and stay hopeful in good and bad times. So look at that. Joy enables you to endure trials, resist idols and stay hopeful in good and bad times. So let's unpack that. Joy enables you to endure trials. So the children of Israel, they were going through stuff. They had been in the, the captivity for 70 years. And if you read the book of Nehemiah, you'll see that there were people like by the name of Sambalot and others who were trying to discourage them from the rebuilding of the wall, did everything they could to hinder them. And yet what happened? Because they had the joy of the Lord, because they had the strength of the Lord, they were able to endure trials. Joy enables you to endure trials because you realize that your, your joy, your happiness is not connected to what you are going through, but it's connected to someone who is greater. The second thing that we have here is that it enables us to resist idols. See, there's a lot of idols in this world that are vying for our devotion, our worship, our attention. And those idols are calling for us to bow. And God is saying, don't bow to those idols. Don't give in to all those idols where you start running after success. You start running after money. You start running after all of these other things in order to fill the void in your heart. He's, he's saying, listen, let my joy fill you so you're not bowing to anything else. And the third thing there is that it enables us to stay hopeful. And the reason why I said in good times and bad times is because of this, because check it out. Even in the good times, you still need to be hopeful. See, it's easy for me to explain to you. I don't need to explain the second part, which is in bad times. It enables us to be hopeful in bad times. I mean, when things are tough, joy, when you have the joy of the Lord, it gives you hope. It, it enables you to be hopeful in the difficult times. But you know what I think happens with a lot of Christians, especially us in America? You know what happens? We are so comfortable. We are so laxed 
You know what happens in our good times? We're not looking forward to the return of Jesus. Let's just be honest for a moment. I know that we're not sitting in front of each other physically, but we're sitting each other. We're sitting before each other right now. Let's have a heart to heart. Do you wake up every day thinking about, man, I can't wait till Jesus returns? Or is the only time that you think about Jesus returning is when something bad happens. You're like, man, I can't wait till Jesus comes. Some of you, you don't even think that way when, when, when things are bad. You're not even looking forward to the return of Christ. And you know, we have to check our hearts. You know why? Because we are supposed to have hope and that hope should produce joy. And so in the midst of success, in the midst of good things, are you still looking forward to the return of Jesus? Are you still looking forward to the day when Christ returns? That is if you don't die before then. A brother of mine, he corrected me because I said all of us are going to die. And he was like, yeah, well, that's not necessarily true if Jesus returns. I get it. But here's the thing. Are you hopeful that when you die, if you die, that you're going to be with Christ? Or are you hopeful that Christ is going to return and rescue you from this world? And are you hopeful, even in the midst of the good moments, that, man, this is good, but eternal glory is going to be better? See, that is what we are supposed to be looking forward to. And for some of us, that doesn't even resonate because we're like, oh man, it's all good. Listen, things are not all good all the time and we need this joy. But when things are good, we still need to have hope that way we're not bowing down to idols and that way we are having a hope in the resurrection of Jesus. And so here's my closing question for you. My closing question for you is this, is your life marked by joy? Is your life marked by joy? It would, again, it's not about a smile, it's not about pleasure, but is your life marked by joy? Is, there, is your soul fortified? Is your soul strengthened in the Lord? See, and here's the thing I want to ask you. If not, why not? If you say no, why is your life not marked by joy? What is hindering your joy? Is it unforgiveness? Is it bitterness? Is it, is it envy? Is it, is it hate? Is it lust? Is it some type of sin in your life that is hindering you from having the joy of the Lord? Is, I, what is it? Is it insecurity? Is it fear? Is it doubt? I don't know what it is. What is it that is hindering you from having the joy of the Lord? And if you say, yes, I have joy. Yes, my life is marked by joy. Then my, my next part of the question is, so then who can you inspire, encourage, or empower today by bringing joy to their life? Because remember, joy isn't just for you. While we benefit from the joy that God gives us, joy isn't just for us. Is there someone else that you know that you can encourage, that you can bring joy to their life, that you can empower them with the truth of God's word? But I want to go back. If you said no, that your life doesn't have joy, I want you to know, just like I said earlier, you need the life source, and that is Jesus Christ alone. And so if you are not a follower of Jesus, please hear me. If you are not following Christ, if you have not given your life to Christ, today, I encourage you, pray unto God, call unto Him, cry out to Him, God, save me, God, deliver me. Jesus, I believe that you came to this earth. Jesus, I believe that you died and rose again. Jesus, I believe that you are the only savior of all mankind. And so today I put my faith and trust in you. Cry out to him. Ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit. Ask him to give you the joy of the Lord, which is and can be your strength today. 
And listen, if you have questions about a relationship with God, maybe, maybe you're, you're not sure about where you are with God. Listen, you can email me at bishop at corfaithchurch.org. I would love to talk to you. You can instant message us on Facebook. You can instant message us on Instagram. You can, you can send us a message on YouTube, wherever we want to hear from you. Let me pray for us. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I come to you and I pray, God, for every person that has heard this word today. Lord, first and foremost, I pray for those who may not have a relationship with you. May you draw them to you. May you fill them with your Holy Spirit and may you deliver them from depression, from discouragement, from confusion, from doubt. Father, bring healing to their hearts for those that are believers and that walk with you, God, that are still struggling to have this joy. God, may you empower them in the mighty name of Jesus. Draw them to you. Fill them with your grace and power. And Lord God, for those that said, yes, they have joy. God, may their joy overflow. And may they not hoard joy for themselves, but may they seek to be a blessing and to bring joy to others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.